So I'm going to invite uh, Kennedy up. She's going to get us started. Everybody give a hand for Kennedy. Hey, guys. So is anyone in a relationship? Everybody's hand should be up because you have relationships with your friends, your family. <laughs> not a boo, not your boyfriend. <laughs> So um, I'm a communications major, and last week, well, I'm in this class, and instead of my teacher just teaching us, um, my classmates teach us, and we do a chapter every week. So last week, I learned about this thing called the onion model, and you know how you cut an onion, and it has layers? So with the onion model, it talks about relationships, but different types of relationships. And this th it's this thing called social, social penetration. So do you ever like have a moment where you're like, oh, that reminds me of blah, 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 but we haven't talked in like five years. Or like something somebody does is like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, the girl in my class, like, uh, I hate it. So it's this thing and it's like real, like, so we have this thing where in life, we take something from one relationship and we transfer it to another relationship, either good or bad. So like we're like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, ooh, I do like that. So it's something in life. And um, so I, I found something else that I thought was kind of cool. So like when a female is born, um, a female is born with all her eggs in her ovary. So when my grandmother was pregnant with my mom, she already had her ovaries. I mean her eggs in her ovaries. And um, me, I was a creation of her ex, so that's just kind of cool. Probably You probably didn't know that, did you? <laughs> so um, I'm going to show a picture. Okay, so that's me and my grandma. This was just yesterday. My birthday was last Wednesday. Um, and then this is my mom to the far right with the hat on. And then the little girl name is Jay, and that's my baby cousin. So with the whole um, ovary and egg thing, I, I'm so just like my grandma, like, it's annoying. And I was like, um, why are we alike? And so I'm a Zodiac person. I'm a fan of Zodiac and all that weird stuff. So I'm a Pisces, and my grandma's a Pisces, so I was always be like, it's just a Pisces thing. It's just a Pisces thing. But learning in class is the social penetration. So, um... So my grandma um, holds a very important spot in my life just because she had my mom, of course, but just generation boundaries and how things just pass on from one another is just kind of cool how God works and how family works and how life works. So, of course, my grandma taught my mom, and then my mom teaches me, but I have a little one to teach also. It's not my child, but it's my cousin. And um, growing up, my grandma had this painting in her house so I was going to show you guys a picture, but it's in the garage, and I didn't want to break a nail. So <laughs> so um, the picture, it looked just like me, like as a kid. Like, I wish I could show you guys, but all she told me was, I don't know the painter. He's just from Chicago. Like, okay, whatever. So it looked just like me, guys. Like, I'm not even lying. And the, um, she named it Barika. My name's Kennedy. It's not Barika. But... Um, 
she said it doesn't have any meaning or anything, but she just named it Barika. And the story behind it was she was saying after she had my mom and my aunt, we have all girls, no boys. She said that she had a third child, which was a painting, and she just lived this life of Barika being her third child. And it's just a painting, you guys. And it's crazy because Barika was me. And the way I look at it is Jay is my Barika because, like, I'm the oldest, and I hate being the oldest. Um, I'm the oldest of three, one girl and two boys. And just being the oldest, you have to hold a leadership position, and it's kind of hard, and a lot of people don't understand that. And me and my sister's seven years apart, and then Kylan, which is my sister, and Jay, they're seven years apart. So it's just crazy how God works. So, um, so we've been talking about the chapter of John, and I'm going to read verse First John chapter 3, 13, 15, and 16. And 13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life by abiding in him. 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So that's like love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then like, so in the Bible, there was Cain who had a brother, but he killed his brother. And then we're easily, a lot of people can point fingers at us like, well, she's mean. She walks around with a lot of hatred and, well, he's mean, blah, blah, blah. But do you lo truly love yourself? The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And some people are probably like, well, what if I don't like myself? Well, you have to realize that you're not alone. So sometimes I think, am I alone? No, because we're all here with one another, and we must treat one another as we love ourselves. And one thing we have to remember is, if God loves us, why can't we love other people? So just as we're walking around campus and stuff, something so small can go a long way like a handshake or a high five or a hello. So just one thing I want to leave you guys with is, as long as you're doing your part and I'm doing my part, God would do his part. But plot twist, ooh, crazy thing is, God has already did his part. So it's time to do our part. That's it. So we um, prepared uh, for this. Um, Riley, you can go ahead and come on up if you want. And um, this message really started on November 20th. And God was like, ever since November 20th happened, he's just been teaching me the same lesson over and over. You ever feel like God's doing that for you? <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm not going to go into details, but... Uh, we, you know, had one of our students that was just in a rough situation. Uh, if you were at the girls' night, you heard that testimony. And um, I was very angry. <laughs> uh, and I can't go into great detail, but, you know, the student was being mistreated by uh, their parents. And um, I've, I've just really confessed this to my life group and to some of you as well, that I, w I wanted to light fire to the house, <laughs> which that's not a good thing to do. And um, I was just lucky that in that first meeting in November 20th when we met, um, 
I had a, a counselor that was with us, and she talked me down off the ledge and just told me to be quiet, and I just kind of listened to what she had to say, and she told, us what, she told us what to do. But ever since that happened, I think God has really been trying to work on me about forgiveness and what it really means to love one another. And I want you to just kind of soak this in tonight because I think we can, uh, a lot of times we can let things um, rob our joy, make us feel less than, um, cause us to treat people um, in ways that we don't want to be treated. And uh, so let's just, that's just a little intro to what we're going to talk about. And then Joe's going to come up and close this out here in a second. So go ahead and read verse 11, uh, Riley. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. There's so many times where in life where we would do anything to keep from having to go back to the beginning. How many of you have put together uh, a piece of Ikea furniture? Uh, you know, I was at the campus house and put something on completely backward. And I was totally done. And David is like, that's wrong. And I said, you stink. Shut up. And I had to take the whole thing apart and, like, redo it again so it actually made sense. And yet as Christians, it's paramount that we continue to go back to the beginning. And I think a lot of us, we, we don't want to go back to the beginning. I should already know the beginning. The beginning is simple, you know. The beginning, I, I could recite that a hundred times. We really don't know exactly what that means, do we? to love one another. And Jesus put it like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like, like this, is, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Of course, the Greek word used for love here is used over and over again in the Bible. You would think uh, when Jesus is talking about our love for one another, he would use the brotherly love, right? The phileo. We, we, we've talked about that before. He actually uses the agapau, which is the same word that's used to describe how God loves us. So he says, the way that I love you, that's the kind of love you're supposed to have for one another. Wow. The literal meaning is to love, have love for someone based on sincere appreciation and high regard. To love, to regard with affection, loving concern. If the foundation is bad, the house built on top of it will be so unsteady and unstable that you can't even use it. Love is our foundation. Love is our beginning. And so Jesus says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why does God say that? Why did Jesus say that? That is very intense. I don't want to pray for them. I don't like them. Maybe you're like me. I want to light their house on fire. Whatever it is. Um, I didn't, by the way. Um, but it starts there. Let's read 12 and 13. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother was doing what was righteous. Don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So I don't, I don't know if we need to really refresh you about Cain and Abel, but the very first two babies born on ever, right? And they are not a case study of how to treat your siblings. I don't know if you've noticed that about them. Uh, they both bring offerings. Uh, uh, of course, 
Abel, he works with the flock, and so he brings the lamb, and, you know, and Cain brings what he's good at with the, from the field, and Cain's offering is rejected, and Abel's offering is accepted because of the blood. We know that now. Fast forward all this time, right? And, but Cain didn't understand. He was mad. And God actually came and said to him, sin is crouching at your door, but you, you must master it and let, not let it have its mastery over you. He actually said that to him. And Cain's largest sin didn't have anything to do with the offering, although he, apparently he didn't do what God wanted him to do. He was doing his own way. But then he, God came to him and gave him a chance, right? He said, hey, sin is getting a little bit, it's going to get worse. It's crouching at the door and you must master it. And instead he killed his brother. Um, so it wasn't so much about the offering at the beginning as it was for his doom was uh, the reaction afterward. Our love for others is truly found in a time when we are faced with extreme disappointment. You've heard that said all the time in sports. You know who you, what your sportsmanship is really like when you lose. Whether or not you're ready to shake someone's hand or, hey, great game, you know, or whatever, whatever the case is. That's how we know we have, what kind of sportsmanship we really have. And that's how it is in life. When we are ex- faced with extreme disappointment, it shows us. And he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. How many of you are really bothered when someone doesn't like you? And everybody, I mean, some of you are like, eh, whatever with them, mm-hmm. you know. But I think really deep down, you don't like it when someone hates you or has something against you. It really bothers you. And you, you go to great lengths to try to be like, try to figure it out or try to get them to like you. And, and it's just a, like an endless cycle. And many things in this life are clear surprises, like they hit us from out of the blue. But a few things, though, God has given us a heads up on, and one is here. We should expect to be hated solely because we put our faith and trust into Jesus and not to this world. It's so funny because Jesus has said that to me over and over in the Bible. You would be hated because of me. And then when someone doesn't like me because I put my trust and faith in Jesus and I say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, you know, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that makes someone angry, and then they get mad, I have a hard time. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. And God isn't shocked at all. Let's read 14 and 15. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So this is a key thing to learn. And uh, this, is, this is our problem when we're trying to be people pleasers and we're trying to get people to like us. It's just, a, just not, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, we don't love others in order to pass from death to life. That's what we most of the time try to do. Um, well, I'll just love them like crazy and I'll pass from death to life. Rather, we love, when we love others, it gives evidence that we have passed from death to life. So Jesus saves us, is that's what we're getting to here. Because you're thinking, I can't love them. And so immediately someone has already popped in your mind that you're really having a hard time loving. Maybe you're really, you're really doing your best to try to love them and it's just, you keep falling backward into hate and bitterness. 
Um, but if we get this backward, we will never be able to love those around us the way that God desires. And this is what Kennedy said earlier, because God has done his part, we must do our part, which is to give him our heart. God has done his part by sending Jesus as a sacrifice for us. We must do our part. And you're like, yeah, my part. But we don't realize we can't do your part for giving others if you haven't given God your heart first. Because your heart is sick, is what it says in Jeremiah 17. And uh, Riley read it for us. Anyone who hates is really a murderer. And we were getting into some intense conversations in our live group last week. And I, I tend to go on rants, you know. And, but this was really, like, haunting to me of how many of us in church are, are in some danger. I mean, this is pretty in, intense. It says anyone who hates their brother is really a murderer. Uh, this is right in line with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. When we refuse to love anyone for any reason, so much more is going on than just a mere refusal to love. We are actually saying this, I wish they were dead. If I could just move them out of my life, my life would be so much better. Right? Whew. Actually, I think the world would be better off if they were dead. And if we're honest, how many of you have ever felt this way? Maybe you didn't articulate it that way, but maybe you used different language like, I wish that they would just move out of the way, or I wish they would just leave me alone. I wish they would just go away, you know. And it's just like the cyclical thing going on in your head. Hopefully we can get some help today as to what uh, Jesus wants to do in our lives. And Jesus and John get drastic to show us how serious hate. And it's just, here's the thing. And I don't get, we're not in this class, psychology class. But the more that you suppress hate and bitterness, uh, the worse it gets. it gets. It gets okay for a while and then just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And you suppress it. And then it'll just surface at the most, the horrible time for you, right? You blow up on someone. You're like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. And especially in stressful times like right now. Uh, let's read the last part of our passage, which is the key to the whole thing. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. So Emily did another um, reminder for us that you can take home with you. I'm going to pass it out right now. We're going to talk about it. Okay? Take one and pass it around. It's so wild that we had we had this picked out when they had the girls' night. So this, she does the, the the image that she did for the girls' night, and then when we put the Kennedy and Joseph and I put together the message. By the way, it's Joseph's birthday today. Happy birthday! Twenty-two. All right. So, and we know what real love is. Any love, 
Any so-called love that is not willing to sacrifice for others is not actually love. Um, Jesus gives us the ultimate example of what it means to love. If anyone had an excuse not to sacrifice, it was Jesus, right? And that's the key uh, to know if we have really, really loving someone. And let me just be honest with you. So in my own life, I, I said that in November 20th, you know, coming back through that whole thing, and then it just comes up over and over again. And uh, to where, I don't know if you've ever, I know you have, because you're human, right? We're humans. And so, you know, you're trying to pray, and you can't. All you can think about is that person that you don't really like, that has said something that has deeply offended you. All you can think about is that person. And you're like, I can't even move forward. And you're like, what is this about? God, take that out. How does that get out? And I think God has really been showing me, Andrew, you need to pray for them right now. And I don't mean like God helped them to break their leg. I mean, that's in the book of Psalms. We're in the New Testament now. Um, but uh, God, I pray a prayer blessing over their life. I pray that you would flood them with joy. I pray that they would know your son more intimately if, if they are a Christian. If they're not a Christian, that they would find salvation in Jesus. I pray that they would have the best day today. I forgive them for what they did to me and to my family. And I'm not even kidding you. When I pray that, and I wasn't even really praying about something right there. I just feel something was lifted off of me. And what that is, is it's forgiveness. And I think it's the single most important thing that you have to get really good at if you're going to follow Jesus. Now, if you want to hold grudges and be bitter and hateful, that's fine. But to literally say, and we're going to, this is going to be part of communion here at the end. But where you say, God, I acknowledge what they did was wrong. It's not get, letting them off the hook. It's saying, I acknowledge what they did was wrong, and I surrender it to you. I don't want to hate them. I, I forgive them. I give them over to you. And you know what? The next day it comes back. We got to do this again. <laughs> and uh, you know, one instance I'm thinking in my mind of this guy on the phone screaming at me, you know, for no reason. Just does not like me. Well, he has reasons, but... Um, anyway, you know, God, I just pray, I pray a blessing over him and his family that he would find favor in your sight, that he would grow to know Jesus more. Mm. And so this is what it, the passage says. When we look to the cross of Jesus on the cross suffering for our sin, we should immediately be two things. First thing we should, when we look at the cross I don't know if your church does communion on a regular basis. Some of our churches do it every week. Uh, it's just a difference in tradition, of course. My church does it every week. I love it. Because I want to be reminded of, of what happened, why I was set free. The first thing that should happen when we look to the cross is that we are grateful. The e what's the easiest way to be grateful? To be thankful? First thing that came to my mind was get your butt in church. <laughs> uh, because 
it's really hard to be around people who have walked with Jesus for 70 years or 60 years or 50 years or 30 years and they're full of joy and not be blessed and not to think, man, my problems, what am I worrying about? What am I worrying about? Get your butt in church. Second thing, get your eyes on his word, on God's word. Third, to be grateful to God. Direct your voice in his direction as much as possible. Pray. Another thing that came to mind about being grateful to God is to be generous. And you're like, I don't have any money. I, I know. Uh, but there's different ways that you can be generous uh, with what you do have. And the second thing, to be grateful to God and to be graceful to others. Until we are grateful to God for what he has done in our life through Jesus, we can't be graceful to others. It's just not there. And we can fake it for a while, but it's not very genuine. Even my prayer, when I first pray that prayer of forgiveness for that person, I, I'm not very genuine at first. I don't really want to pray that. And I'm asking God to change my heart. So the easiest way to be graceful to others is to be generous toward them in prayer, maybe even actually being generous to them in some creative way. And in that last part, verses 18 through 20, um, it says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Sometimes loving those around us may not make us feel any better. <laughs> That's what it says. When our hearts condemn us. Ugh, you feel sick, you know? It's that justice thing inside of you that God put there for other reasons, not to hate people, but to make a difference in the world. That's why that's there, where you want to have justice, right? And you say, oh, don't want to do this. Clench teeth. But when we forgive those around us, we will have the assurance that we have been obedient to God, storing up treasures in heaven. Because God has done his part, we must do our part, which is to give him our heart. I'll invite Joe up now. So as Andrew said, <clears throat> my name is Joe, and um, I briefly wanted to speak about um, a few practical ways that we can learn to love. And so we just got done talking about how love is an action and a deed. And so the first thing we need to do is find out what truly love is so that we can show up. And um, so I'm going to read some from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and then I'm going to modify it after I read through it. So love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. So we hear all that. And it's great. But now replace that with your name and see, are you truly embodying love? If I stand here, can I say, Joe is patient. Joe is kind. I'm not boastful. I'm not jealous. I'm not proud. I'm not rude. I don't demand my own way. I'm not irritable. If you go through this whole scripture, you know, if you say I love my mom and my dad, do I treat them this way? 
You know, do I love my girlfriend or my spouse? Am I treating them this way? Furthermore, we're called to love the body of Christ. So when we see people in church, when we see all our brothers and sisters sitting here with us, are we truly showing them love? Are we smiling in their face and wishing ill will or harm upon them? You know, we need to really take love to heart. And then the other scripture that I love so much um, from Romans, which is my favorite book of the Bible, um, it's Romans 12, 9 through 21. And I mean, the first statement, don't just pretend to love others, you know, goes back to the onion thing. You're peeling back, you know, what is love? We got to make sure that we're really loving people, hating what is wrong, holding tightly to what is good. Um, and I'm not going to read this whole passage. I strongly encourage you to read it on your time. And, you know, First Corinthians 13, I kind of like to think about this is how we need to love those we claim to love all the time in the body of Christ. And then Romans 12, once we've reached that level, can we love those outside of the body of Christ? Can we truly love those that are our enemies, those that are persecuting us, you know, those that do wrong to us? Can we pray for them as Andrew is telling us to do? Can we love them? And um, a couple ways we can show this, both of these, I think, is through our speech and through listening. These are two ways that we could immediately start showing how we love other people. You know, we can talk to people in a non-rude way, in a way that's truly caring for someone else. If they come up and um, say hi to you and you say, hey, how are you? Don't just say, hey, how are you, just because it's what everyone does. If you say, how are you, truly mean how are you, you know? If you don't want to ask, how are you, then don't. You'd rather ask it in genuineness than lie and just be like, how are you? And then the whole time they're talking, you know, maybe they're going through a tough week, pouring their heart out to you, you're ignoring them. How does that look for someone that's supposed to be showing Jesus' love to other people? So in speech and then listening, you know, if you ask how are you and they're explaining something to you, listen to them. Sit down with someone. Have a conversation. It's amazing what you can learn from other people about their own life, how to pray for them, just by listening. And it makes a big impact on both of your lives. They will be able to know if you're superficial or if you're being genuine, you know, the next time you see them ask them about what you talked about. You know, these are just a few practical ways to show how, um, <clears throat> how we love others and just how it impacts our life. And so very briefly, I'm gonna share um, just a quick personal note of how love changed my life. Um, I mean, as you guys can all see, I'm black. And um, you know, in America, it's not always easy being an African-American male. Um, you know, growing up, you might hear different things about how you're supposed to act, how you are, but it all changes once you get out in the real world on your own. You know, once you turn about 18, 19, people look at you differently. You know, you're not a kid anymore. You're expected to grow up fast. You're expected to act a certain way at all times. Um, and then you get people saying a whole lot of different things about you, calling you names, you know, using racial slurs, treating you bad, um, asking every single stereotype possible. And it's very easy to hate in those instances. Like, I'm not going to stay up here and lie to you. There was a lot of hate in my heart. Um, and over time, it just got more and more callous because there's a lot of hurt, a lot of hurt that turned into anger. And, you know, the more you grow up, the more you, it's like black men aren't supposed to cry. So instead of crying when you hurt, you just get angry. And then you just turn into hate. So you start hating everyone, you know, anyone that doesn't look like me, anyone that gives me the wrong look. Anyone that just treats me wrong, you know, if I walk into a store and I get followed by the person up front, then I'm going to hate that person, I'm going to hate that store. You know, if I walk somewhere and a police officer starts eyeing me, then I'm going to hate that police officer. 
you know, I see a fellow black person get shot or something, I'm gonna hate all police officers because of one thing someone did wrong. It's easy to take that hate and just magnify it. Um, and so from there, I don't think I truly learned how much hurt and anger was in me and how much I love or and how to love until I became love. And so you could be that light for someone. Um, but first you have to love yourself, but then you need to start loving people. Someone might be angry or something, and you just gotta learn to love on them, and you have to learn to love yourself. And once you learn that true love, um, that's not easy, then that hate starts to come away. And then, you know, you can go to the person and talk to them, even though they might treat you wrong, you can go pray for them. You know, you can approach God um, and tell him about, you know, you can cry, you can talk with God like he's your best friend. He should be, he loves you in such a way that no one can ever love you. And so through all that, I've learned that, yeah, you know, I still do struggle with anger and hatred, but at least I can now come stand up here in front of all you guys and say I'm working on it. I can stand here and tell you that, you know, I do love all of you. All of you have a special place in my heart. I can tell you that no matter what people wrong me, like, yeah, I'll get angry, I might have to go, and it might take a year before I can talk to them, but I will work on it, you know. This is the action that we need to show, the way love needs to be directed in our hearts. I just thank you all for allowing me the opportunity to share, and I hope it really helps all of you in a way. The compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God, and Jesus says to your heart and mind tonight, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, dependent on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying his gut was wrenched, his heart torn open, the most vulnerable part of his being laid there. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out, whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this? And with all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. That he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit, no matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels.